0: Say Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson.
1: Um, do you guys, are you guys interested in my pitch for uh, a piece about how COVID-19 is killing uh, small talk at the beginning of podcasts?
0: Very interested because that that premise holds up.
1: I mean... What is there to say? I uh, that's the know. whole point of
0: the piece. What is there to say, guys? It's We're great all to see my friends.
1: This is pro se. We are the only uh, well, podcast that's bringing you legal news in the face of a pandemic. Don't fact Al- check me on that. Alex and I did see each other from across the street. Uh, oh, did you? True. Wait that's last true. Week,
2: was there uh, like one a...
0: sad tear that rolled down one of your cheeks?
2: Yeah, Alex had been running, um, and that's true. Uh, you know he was coming back. He looked winded. Yeah, I was.
1: I overexerted myself. I went too far, and then I was stuck among like too many people, and in Brooklyn Bridge Park, it was a it was a nightmare. Uh, I can't believe yeah, I survived. But, uh, I'm, I'm I'm pretty lucky, but it was it was nice to see you, but also sad because all because we we were like talking literally across the street, and it was like, hey, I, I'm gonna go, and then that was it.
0: <laughs> well, it's extra sad for me. I'm isolated over here in New Jersey. You guys at least can run into each other on. That's true. Some, That's, in true. Some way That's true. In Brooklyn
1: count your blessings i guess but yeah
0: (laughs) well um as you can imagine uh everybody listening out there lots more coronavirus news and so we're just going to talk just as hosts this week and break down some of the new developments we're going to cover new ground though there's there's been some interesting legal stuff that's bubbled up this week
2: Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of uh, interesting news later in the show about uh, lawyers uh, declining to wear shirts. Uh, You want to stick around (laughs) for that. But uh, before then, um, I I was actually working on a really interesting story this week on um, uh, sort of creative uh litigation that has come out of the 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 pandemic um uh the company 3m the big conglomerate they make uh many things but most notably they make uh n95 masks which are very important right now um they've been on sort of a legal war path uh to stop price gouging for for their masks um They can't really directly sue over price gouging, and we'll get into that. Um, So they're using this sort of interesting, you know, square peg in a round hole kind of thing to to get these these uh, sort of bad actors into court.
0: Yeah, this is, um, of course, so important that the protective masks that are in such high demand. Tell us more about what 3M produces and, and what kind of litigation they're getting into here.
2: So I mentioned the uh, N95 before. That's um, that's not a, a 3M thing. It's a that's a technical designation for a type of really effective uh, mask. Um, and and unsurprisingly, no matter who's making them, they're in extremely high demand right now. So, unsurprisingly, people are uh, you know people we saw before things really even got bad that people were hoarding them and they became very difficult to find. And the people who do have them are occasionally selling them at very very high markups. Um, uh, 3M is the largest manufacturer of N95s in the country, um, but but it doesn't really have uh, any sort of right of action to stop people from from price gouging. St- they can refer people that they find to state attorneys general or to the FTC, um, but they don't really have a way to to sue themselves here, other than um, you know banning sort of their authorized distributors, large retailers, from doing stuff like this
1: now bill you said this is a story you were working on and if you're working on it i have i have an inkling as to how as to what area of the law they might be using to go after uh, people like this but let's talk about the lawsuits a little bit
2: i like that that was a good that was good uh well you know come on brands
0: Uh, guy tell us what they're doing
2: so the way that they have have Tried to do this um, is uh, to file a series of trademark lawsuits uh, over the past week against a variety of companies. There's three lawsuits filed thus far against a variety of companies that are doing this kind of price gouging. Um, what makes it so interesting is uh, that that you know they're not saying that the, the they're not saying that the masks are. Uh, fake masks that they're you know they're 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 illegitimate they're they're counterfeit they're not saying that other companies that are making their own good masks are putting their name on yeah. those masks they're not even saying that you know that these were illegally imported which is called gray market they're not yeah. they're not even saying that those are all the sort of traditional ways that you would sue someone for for trademark infringement um the, and and I should say you know the absence of those claims indicates that that from these lawsuits that 3M thinks that these companies are actually selling reselling genuine legitimate N 95s right exactly Mm -hmm. um but so instead what they're saying is that these companies have used the 3m name and other sort of confusing tactics in trying to resell these masks um to make it appear that that the the ridiculous prices they're charging sometimes four, five, six times the the list price for these masks was somehow approved by 3M that they are somehow connected to 3M and thus the price gouging is sort of part of you know is is a choice by 3M itself um a good quote from one of the from one of the cases quote 3M does not and will not tolerate individuals or entities deceptively trading off the fame and goodwill of the 3M brand marks for personal gain this is particularly true against those who seek to exploit the surge in demand for 3M branded products during the COVID-19 global pandemic.
0: This is a really interesting tactic. Um, I mean, of course, 3M wants to protect their brand at a time when these kind of actions are really can really put a tarnish on the company, but people can resell things like that's part of what's established in the law that you can resell a genuine good. So how are they getting around that?
2: Yeah, it's it's a good point that you brought up, Amber, because that is sort of the the you know the tension here that um, it, under something called the first sale doctrine, you're 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 allowed to sell something that's legitimate that is bearing a trademark uh, and not become a trademark infringer yourself. You're allowed to resell your car and tell people that it's a Honda or a right. Ford. You're allowed to, yeah. if you're a restaurant and you have cans of Coke, you're allowed to sell them and tell people they're Cokes. And, um, you know, it, it, it's it's a safety valve to allow for the competitive forces of reselling and all that kind of stuff to not let trademark law sort of go too far in what it controls and what it restricts. Um, but but the the key here is that Trademark law, the the federal Lanham Act, the the statute that applies here is is pretty flexible in the way that it polices sort of uh uh bad behavior in the market. Um it's you know, people try to find loopholes around it, and it's a pretty flexible law in terms of prohibiting unfair competition and and really any sort of tactics that are designed to confuse consumers about the origin of a product. Um so even though these vendors could r- legally resell the a 3M masks. If they found them, 3M is saying yeah. that they're, th- these broader protections sort of uh, limit the way that they sort of make illegal what the way that they're going about doing it because they're they're sort of going out of their way to make it appear that they're connected to 3M. What 3M is saying is that these people, you know, that they have made it seem like like they were authorized by 3M to to jack up prices this way. One right. of the offer so, letters. Like,
0: if I like go on. You know, some website like um you know poshmark or something and i resell a gucci bag and i say in the ad like genuine used gucci bag come buy it i haven't really damaged gucci's brand like this seems like what they're arguing is it's not the sale so much as tying 3m directly to that sale and damaging them in that way
2: exactly because in that scenario that you just described nobody would assume that that gucci themselves that you were gucci that they would see that it was a used product they would see that it was um what what they're doing here one of the complaints uh that that 3m filed this week um they they quoted from these offer letters that were sent out to various uh you know uh government agencies where they were trying to sell these masks and one was to the new york city uh uh health department and and New York is obviously the the center of this outbreak and really desperately in need of these masks, and the the letter was full of 3M's name. It it listed at one point it listed 3M's actual address as opposed to um, uh, the address of this company. They intentionally did all sorts of things to blur the line of you know we are. We are authorized by 3M to do this. In one, at one point, they they even said uh, they warned New York uh, that quote acceptance of the purchase order is at the full discretion of 3M. So they took all these different steps to sort of make it look like um, they were operating as a part of. 3M which you know then then creates a scenario where people are going well this is you know these prices are jacked up but that's that's what 3M is doing and that's sort of how it works so and when you get associated with that kind of stuff it hurts your it hurts your brand and that brings us back to the very beginning here which is that's an injury that allows you it's sort of a vehicle to get yourself into court and go after companies like this.
1: I'm really glad, uh, Amber. You mentioned like a, you, you mentioned a good example of like a Gucci bag. I just want to say, uh, regardless of the legality or illegality, you know, of this activity, jacking up the price for safety masks, not Gucci, in my opinion. That's just I'm, I'm just going to say that we we are we, we are not Gucci on that front. Uh, but in any case. Um, There's lots of creative lawyering going on uh, these days, uh, including sort of attorneys getting a crash course in certain services that they haven't uh, had to provide uh, absent these crazy circumstances. And Amber, you want to tell us a little bit more about some of that?
0: I love stories where attorneys have to jump in and learn new skills and learn new areas of the law that maybe they weren't as familiar with. And that's basically what this next story is. So um, there's at least one area where seasoned employment attorneys maybe have never touched it before, and that's unemployment benefits. And as you guys know, unemployment benefits have gone through the roof. So there's a steep learning curve going on in that practice area right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, as we're recording today on Thursday, there were another 5 million jobless claims, which I think, according to some rough cocktail at the back of the napkin, uh, math like erases about a decade worth of job growth in the last 4 weeks or so um, yep. obviously there's a, there's been a wave a flood of these unemployment claims um what kind of challenges is that posing for the the legal the the, the portion of the legal community that has to handle those
0: yeah let's give a little backdrop in case um people yeah. haven't been following along exactly with what is going on with uh unemployment insurance generally so the um coronavirus aid relief and economic security act that's the cares act we've all been reading about in the news
1: the Big bail. that yeah. was
0: Federally passed. And the idea was it was going to inject federal money into state unemployment programs because the state runs all of those programs. Um, yeah. It's going to help them pl- pay displaced workers more money and for longer periods of time while we're in this economic crisis. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it gives the workers a couple things. Um, if you're unemployment eligible, you can get $600 a week just from the feds on top of your state benefits. And it extends the number of weeks you're eligible for unemployment. In normal times, unemployment is just not something that lawyers get involved in a lot, um, because especially uh, at bigger law firms, especially the kinds of attorneys that represent employers. And the reason for that is actually pretty logical. When an employer implements something like a big layoff and they let a bunch of people go because the company's not doing well or whatever, um, unemployment insurance just isn't much of a concern from the employer side if... Uh, a worker goes out and tries to get it it's really on the the onus is on the worker to prove that they're eligible and go through those steps the employment um uh duties and the relationship itself ends when you're laid off so the employer doesn't have to step up and call their lawyers and help you do anything at that point you're not an employee anymore their duty to you is done but what we're seeing now and the reason that a bunch of attorneys are having to learn all of this is that um they are now much more invested in how things turn out for their workers because it's not the traditional scenario of we're laying off a bunch of people and think that that's it because the company's doing poorly for some reason. Instead, it's we're laying off a bunch of people in the hopes that we can hire all these good workers back one day. And yeah. with that as a backdrop, you're much more incentivized to try to get the best for your people, to help them make the right arguments so that they can get unemployment insurance and see them through this dark time and hopefully come back to you in the future.
2: So what's the kind of stuff that people are asking about? What What are the kind of the tricky things that are coming up here that um, these uh, these lawyers are having to deal with?
0: Yeah, so there's a whole range of things. A lot of them are sound kind of basic, but it's the backdrop of this being state by state that makes it extra tricky. Yeah. So it's stuff like... If their workers are eligible at all for unemployment, um, how much they might be able to collect. And then um, because this is a a nationwide crisis, lots of states have loosened up their rules for participating in their unemployment insurance programs. And that's just a lot to keep track of, especially if you're a company that has um, locations in, in multiple states. So you'd be dealing with a whole range of sort of differing interpretations and differing rules. And on top of that, a lot of them are new rules. So it's a lot to keep track of. And then there's one extra tricky bit that I think is really salient right now for employers. So a lot of them have been calling their attorneys and asking about something that's called a work share program. And what that means is workers would continue to work for the company part time while collecting some portion of their missing salary through the unemployment insurance programs. About yeah, the 30 government states. is like it's like a
1: it's like a supplemental thing. Yeah,
0: exactly. So about thirty states have some version of that in place, and of course, a lot of employers would want to know that. Like, can I keep X number of people and have them be able to pay their bills because they can get this extra supple- supplemental money from the government? So that's a lot of stuff to keep track of. For like I said earlier, a group of attorneys that usually didn't get involved in this very much at all.
1: There's been you know. Various effects of this that has required uh, you know people different groups of people to learn about a new thing at a very like short time frame. and of course, employment attorneys, what we're talking about here are no exception. What are they doing? like how are they familiarizing themselves with the ins and outs of these sort of overlapping you know state uh, wage replacement uh, systems?
0: Yeah, so Braden Campbell, who's one of our senior employment reporters, he reached out to a bunch of the practice leaders at top labor and employment law firms and asked that question like, hey, you really haven't had to do this. What are you guys doing? And um, they've done done a variety of things, but it pretty much boils down to tracking these new state-by-state guidances and additional um, sort of memos that are spelling out what each state is doing and also um, considering... Sort of centralizing that information, because you can imagine law firms, too, have offices in a bunch of states, so they're doing stuff like putting together master cheat sheets of every state, Um, these big charts that go through things like what are the rules to get this insurance, how much pay are you going to get, and how have these programs been tweaked so that everybody's Mm -hmm. up to speed on the latest. Never
1: underestimate a good chart. You need a good chart. I love a good chart. This story is right up my alley. This is type A
0: Amber kind of stuff. Yes. Um, But the other thing they're doing is something we're seeing at a lot of firms uh, generally for the coronavirus. These employment firms and employment groups within broader firms are putting together special task forces just for this issue because it is so widespread. So it's the classic, let's get all the right people together and talking about this in a sort of centralized way. That's especially true for groups that are using those um, sort of committees as a way to get people from all their various offices. So if this is a state by state problem, maybe you want somebody in Pennsylvania to take point on telling you what to do in that state and on down the line, a bunch of other places. So that's what they're up to.
2: I feel like this is the, uh, this is the, the recurring dream where you signed up for a class that you uh, you didn't know that you had signed up for. And then you, it's, the, it's the night before the final. I didn't know I signed up for unemployment uh, benefits.
0: That's, I... that's 100% what it is, Bill. And honestly, the answers are exactly what you would expect them to be if you were in college or law school. It's make a cheat sheet and get a really good study group. That's what you <laughs> yeah, need Yeah, right.
1: Do <laughs> good call. Um, uh, that's super interesting stuff. The last thing we want to talk about is um, I think something that applies really to the to the bar, uh, to the legal community broadly because these are these are worrying times. You know, there are lots of things for everybody to worry about. You worry about your health, you worry about your job, and if you're a lawyer, there's another thing that you might have to worry about pretty soon, and that is the threat of rising malpractice claims. Kara um, Bayless pulled together a great story uh, last week, which basically charted a uh, pretty clear correlation between sort of global recessions which we appear to be entering now um and a rise in malpractice claims um and what she wrote about and the data that that she compiled certainly gives uh, a lot of lawyers reason for for some considerable alarm it's fascinating
2: she looked at you know it's sadly we have uh, a pretty recent uh yeah. embarrassing <laughs> point here for the 2008 recession and it's it's pretty convincing that you know that this that that these two things are correlated, that and it, and it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, you you know, you're yeah. going through a, a tough time, and and that that will will lead to these kind of things. But so, how, how did this sort of break down in 2008 and the years that came afterwards?
1: Yeah, like well, like you say, it is it is handy for research purposes, however sad for societal purposes that we all have a fresh yeah. memory of a specific thing like this, uh, even though the circumstances are different, which we'll talk about. Um, so as everyone probably remembers, the mortgage crisis basically tanked the the global economy in the fall of 2008. And about a year later, malpractice claims in the five sort of hardest hit practice areas, which Kara defined as real estate, personal injury, estates, bankruptcy, and family law, they all reach new peaks. So about a year after the, the economy is at its lowest point, you have peaks in malpractice claims. Um... And she did that by sort of by doing a a really interesting charting of uh, sort of American Bar Association malpractice claims. Uh, to the level of the S&P index. Um, she did a great job on this. Uh, she has, uh, as I was just espousing the value of charts, she has great charts and graphs that illustrate this, uh, probably a little bit better than I'm doing verbally, but everyone should check it out. But the point is, when the economy goes down, malpractice claims goes up. Uh, we, we, we we saw it again on a smaller scale um, in the wake of the 2011 sort of Eurozone crisis, which also saw the downgrading of the U.S. credit rating. Um and there's always a little bit of a lag. Um you know, as as people are in a sort of chaotic situation where businesses are shutting down and they're trying to sort of keep a job and do all this, you know, suing your lawyers isn't always at the top of your mind, but when the dust begins to settle and people take a look at, you know, the 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 wreckage that was that was done because of these economic events, um they tend to 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 file malpractice claims. And so it's hard to say sort of exactly when corona-related malpractice suits uh, will come. But basically, every industry expert um, who tracks stuff like this is fairly certain that they will come at some point.
0: So what kind of stuff should we be looking out for? Like, what kind of claims did uh, Kara see when she looked at this uh, list of them?
1: Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that's... uh, We we could talk about the different kinds of malpractice claims for a whole show. Um, A couple of the big categories that she charted... um, Were uh, something that's that's very simple, but pops up most often uh, is missed deadlines. So, like if you're a lawyer and like you missed a filing deadline or didn't uh, weren't aware that you had to file something in time, this is always at the center of like a lot of malpractice claims, um, which is pretty simple. It's it's an easy claim to make. It was like my lawyer had to file this piece of paper and didn't do it in time. Now, because of this particular crisis, um, the coronavirus is basically delaying or canceling numerous legal proceedings, attorneys are getting a little bit of leeway here. We've talked about this on the show, that statutes of limitations are being told and deadlines are being told by individual courts... Um, so they, they have leeway, but that's still a lot to keep track of because it's not uniform. Different jurisdictions are extending deadlines on a different timeline, um, and not every court is doing it along the same track, so that's something to keep in mind. You know, If you have clients that are working in a lot of different jurisdictions, you have to keep track of that uh, to make sure you don't leave yourself on the hook. Uh, the other thing is just sort of uh, the idea of just giving bad legal advice uh, in like an advisory role. If you're like advising people on business decisions and then businesses fail in, in, with with regard to this we've effectively turned off the economy you could you know potentially see a case where people start suing their lawyers and say hey you know you, you advised me to be you know sort of overly aggressive in this regard or you left me too vulnerable uh, to something like this, um, which obviously raises the questions of whether or not any reasonable lawyer could have foreseen something like this happening. Well, but that's it just also a couple examples of, of like things people people face. But yeah,
0: it also sort of ties into the story I was talking about, which a lot of attorneys are having to quickly brush up yeah, exactly. on that's areas of law. So yeah. there could be um a lot of things I could foresee where they would per- perhaps get something wrong, or at least a client would make that allegation.
1: Do yeah. we have a
2: sense? Do we have a sense of like where this is gonna happen this time around? I mean, is it like, you know, there's a, a bunch of restaurants are probably one of the hardest sure. hit places. So you know, are we gonna see in hospitality? I mean, is there like a sense of how this might shake out?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, like like you say, the you know, food and beverage hospitality industries are obviously hurting right now. Um, but the other sort of lesson to take away from. Uh, the the malpractice spike that followed the 2008 crisis is that it the 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 nature of the crisis is reflected in the types of malpractice claims. That was a mortgage crisis, right? So there was a ton of real estate, you know, legal malpractice claims that that arose out of that. Whether you know you're giving, you know, you're uh, advising on certain real estate acquisitions that eventually tanked and things like that. Here we've seen. Basically, a voluntary shutdown of all but a sliver of U.S. businesses, and you know, at the heart of these business arrangements are contracts. And so, most people see an uptick in claims in malpractice claims related to contracts or insurance law, because this is this is sort of what underpins most sort of commercial dealings, yeah. right? I, I am under a contract to provide goods and services for. X whatever, uh, I have insurance policies that you know protect me against certain calamities. This is certainly a calamity. We talked about sort of, and we talked on last week's show about how we started to see first, you know, first round lawsuits, not malpractice suits yet. But as as legal uh, work mounts in this area, it stands to reason then that if those, if that legal work doesn't go the the way that clients want to. You can see how, you know, they would begin to then turn their focus on the lawyers who, you know, didn't get them their expected results. So, um, you know, like I say, I mean, we there's there, there will be probably a little bit of a lag in that regard. Um, but the malpractice claims are coming um, and it's definitely something uh, that uh, attorneys should um, uh, keep their eyes out for.
0: show us something offbeat and um right now we are all on a video call together so yeah i want to talk about an offbeat related to these now ubiquitous calls we're all on so it's true um, yeah a judge recently issued a plea to attorneys please put on a shirt before you log into a court hearing via teleconference video teleconference
2: Carolina, our uh, one of our Miami reporters, uh, wrote that story, and the head and lead were just so good. It was like I'm just...
0: so glad you brought up that it was her because I was going to say, could there be a more Florida story? Florida than baby, a yeah. guy, an attorney who presumably dialed in without his shirt on.
2: Florida man. Uh, declines to wear shirt during in professional setting, burying the lead that that Florida man is also a Florida lawyer. <laughs> yeah, right. right.
0: <laughs> so uh, here's what happened with this one. Judge Dennis Bailey, he sits on a bench in family court in Broward County. He sent a a letter to a local bar association with just you know some warnings. um He said that a bunch of his fellow jurists have had to deal with inappropriately dressed attorneys on Zoom court proceedings. And here was the quote. One male lawyer appeared shirtless and one female attorney appeared still in bed, still under the covers. And putting on a beach cover-up <laughs> won't cover up that you're poolside in a bathing suit.
2: Okay, I like- a <laughs> few things. Well, I mean, go ahead. it's one thing. I think in bed is, you know, it's unprofessional, but it's, it's it's whatever, and and you know, being being by the pool, that's you're outside, you're getting some fresh air. If you're if you are a lawyer and you're popping onto a Zoom call with a with a judge and you're shirtless, talk about malpractice claims. I mean, yeah. like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing here?
0: I mean, I hear you, Bill, but I cannot imagine being like, oh, I'm by the pool. Oh no, I'm about to miss this hearing. Let me just throw a towel over my bathing suit. Like what? That's also really I- bad.
1: I'd love to know because, like, the 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 this judge sent this letter, and clearly, he like like you said, Amber, he had talked to other judges. I would love to know how many stories of like some someone being shirtless or someone being weird on Zoom prompted a bar-wide letter. You know what I'm <laughs> I saying? Like, fear. like obviously, yeah, it's like it's be definitely a lot, right? it's obviously strange to like not wear a shirt on a professional call, like you say with a judge. But like at some point, they made the decision was like, you know what, we're just going to nip this in the bud. <laughs> And like tell everybody, hey, I by the way, shirts not optional. Even though you're, at home.
0: I think it's really funny because I think it was maybe our first show back when we got up and running in this pandemic. I think Bill had made a joke that like you, Alex, were on our call shirtless, which was a joke. That was not true. It was a but joke. That joke yeah. became a reality. It was a joke. He was wearing judges. a very
2: sheer shirt. Uh, it was <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was almost yeah, transparent. The, the judge
0: actually went on to say this. Let's treat court hearings as court hearings, whether zooming or not.
1: I yeah, that's good. I don't even know what to say, guys. I mean Well, I thought I mean, you know, Bill, I said this to you. I said this to you when we ran into each other on the street. You're a big social contract guy. And now the social contract is 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 taking on some different permutations as we adjust to this.
2: You know, I, mean, I, I thought we all agreed is...
1: that, like, pants. You know, whatever. You know, pants can be optional <laughs> if you keep your bottom half concealed. <laughs> I'm wearing not basketball optional. shorts right now. Right, right. But like well, the shirts, this is this is a this is a whole other thing. Sorry, Amber, go ahead. I
0: don't like to leave us on a really negative note of like people just being wild and and dumb on their. Court I do, calls. for the record,
1: I do. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Well, I would make a whole show like out
0: of. <laughs> some of this stuff with video conferences and video meetings has actually been really good. So I did want to like leave us with one sort of little highlight. Um, we had another story, Brandon Lowry wrote it for us, where he was talking about, like, are there things that attorneys say have been positive for the practice out of this pandemic? Because so much of the news is so doom and gloom, but some stuff has been good. And one of the things that it, that some of the attorneys told him was that when you see, like, puppies and the kids of your coworkers, you're kind of brought into their living room, it makes people feel closer in a way that's really positive. because. We've often, on Pro Se, talked about the mental health of the legal profession and how attorneys don't feel comfortable saying when something's bothering them, they feel like they have to be strong all the time, they feel like they can't let people into their personal life. Maybe this will break down some of those barriers. I hope we break them down with people wearing shirts, but at least it lets people see that we're all human, see a little bit of our personal side um, in a way that might make the profession a little gentler.
2: We don't want to see too much proof that we're all human. We did we just we want <laughs> Just we want.
0: enough.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's 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 well observed, I think.
0: Yeah, so definitely everybody uh figure out an outfit to wear for your Zoom court proceedings. <laughs> Chuck, that's and an that outfit. pretty much make a plan right.
1: for yourself. I mean a shirt I mean,
2: I mean, a shirt is a ba- is a is a is a low bar, guys. Just a shirt. It's true. You, I guess true. we cannot stress enough. You can poo bear. You can have. You can be Porky Pig down. Like there, there can be no pants on. We're just Man. you. You gotta. You gotta get a top on. You can't pop the top
1: mid mid court hearing. It just can't happen. Man. It took us 146 episodes to turn poo bear into a verb, and I am happy about. I'm
0: it. proud of us. Very proud. Been a great show, guys. Thanks for being with me, Bill.
1: I will see you again next week as long as you wear a
2: shirt.
0: <laughs> and thanks for being with me, Alex.
1: That goes double for me.
0: We also want to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano and Steven Trader, our graphic designer, Chris Yates, and our contributing reporters this week, Brayden Campbell, Cara Bayless, Carolina Bellato, and Brandon Lowry. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner. If you like Pro Se, leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts so other people can find our show. And all of our coronavirus-related coverage is outside our paywall. So check out our website, law360.com slash podcast. Thanks, and see you again next week.